Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewellery of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweller since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Please consider supporting Black Women United, YEG, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. They are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United, YEG, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hi, I'm Jed Bodwin, and I live in Wichita, Kansas. I am a Patreon supporter for Creative Control. I discovered Creative Control some years ago, I think maybe while looking for interviews with Tommy Stinson of The Replacements, and uh, I stumbled across this conversation that Vish had with Tommy Stinson that was really insightful. Vish held his own. I think Tommy can be a little bit of a difficult interview at times, and it went really well, and it really uh, got into some areas that I wasn't expecting, and I thought, gosh, I have to listen to more of this guy and his podcast. Sometimes I'm not necessarily a fan of the music or musicians that uh, Vish will have on the show, but I always appreciate their creative process a little bit more. And uh, more times than not, though, it does lead me to uh, finding a new musical artist that I'm interested in or to think a little bit differently about maybe some artists whose work I've overlooked. So, Go ahead, and if you've been waiting at all to support Vish and Creative Control, now is probably the best time to do it. I know as a public radio employee here in Kansas, listener-supported broadcasting, whether it's podcasts or radio itself, really isn't a thing of the past. It's actually very much a thing of both the present and the future. So, yay Vish, yay Creative Control. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, Please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. Kai Brooks is a talented composer, sound engineer, musician, poet, singer, and producer based in Montreal, Quebec. Raised not far from Ottawa, Ontario, in Wakefield, Quebec, Brooks co-founded a key DIY space in Montreal called La Plante, and now operates a collectively run Montreal recording studio 
called Error 403. They have been a member of many bands, including the surreal, jazz-oriented White Cube, an eight-person queer punk band called Femme Maggots, and noise rock explorers Lung Butter, among many others. Striking out on their own and under the name Kai, their stirring solo debut is called Power is the Pharmacy, which was released on May 12, 2023, via Constellation Records. Kai and I caught up for a talk recently covering subjects like uh, recording other bands and the aforementioned Error 403 space, the loss of their dear friend and bandmate, Joni Sadler, wanting to get out of Ottawa as a teenager, their early interest in classical music, bad behavior, and earnest academic pursuits, Western music cues and theatricality, loving pop music, obsessing over teeth, future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this donor-driven podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control. Thanks again for doing that. That means a lot. It really does. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, respectively, in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 777, lucky 777, I think, of Creative Control, featuring the thoughtful and compelling Kai, with your host, me, Vishkana. Hi, Kai. How's it going? Oh, very good. Uh, it's uh, 10 p.m. in Montreal time. Yes. And, uh, I, yeah, very good. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for making time. It is a little later than I usually uh, talk to people as well, I must say, from my end of things. It's 10 o'clock Montreal time. It's around uh, 10 after 8. Sorry, that sounded like I'm 10, I'm 10 minutes ahead of you. No, <laughs> it's, it's what is it, like 10, 10. And A10. So it's A10. It's late in the yes, evening yes, for both yes. of us. Sorry about that. Anyway, uh, no, thanks for... Is this... Is, but this was your preferred time, right? Later? Is that correct? Yeah, no, it's, it actually is good. I, I was in a recording session all day and um, we finished around seven and I just needed to crash a little bit. So... Oh, um, good. So it's actually a really good time. Now, uh, can you tell us anything about the recording session? Was it related to your own work or something else? Uh, no, no, it's um, uh, I'm recording a, a project of a friend of mine, um, Jonathan Stern, and uh, his band who's called Volt. They're like a prog rock band. Hmm. And uh, yeah, I work as a recording and mix engineer and uh, do some live sound as well. So it's been three days of recording and we're just finished the bed tracks and stuff and getting started with overdubs tomorrow. Oh. Um, but it's been really nice. And yeah, that's great. Good. That's great. Yeah, I'd, I'd heard this about you that you. Uh, make records for people and not just uh, your own, I suppose, and, and mix them and all those sorts of things. Uh, uh, do, you, do you have a preferred studio or do you have your own studio space in Montreal? So the session I've been working on for the past couple of days is at my own studio, which is called Error 403. Hmm. And it's a space I share with Jessica Moss and 
Eve Parker Finley, for those on TikTok, and uh, a couple of other, um, oh, uh, Robin from Big Brave, a v- variety of other folks working in mostly music-related stuff in Montreal. And then I also I also recorded uh, Hotel to Tango, which is sort of the yeah. venerable Constellation Records associated and many other things associated studio. It's Howard Billerman and uh, Redwan mm-hmm. and uh, Ephraim and Thierry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from Godspeed's place. So. Yeah, that's a nice place. I've not. Yeah. So I think the last time Jessica was on, uh, she might have been at this mm-hmm. uh, space of yours because she was recording uh, herself uh, there, talking to me. I mean, sorry, she was in a, yeah. some sort of studio space, and I feel like she mentioned Big yes. Brave. So yeah, it probably was. That's nice. There you go. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure it was. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so this is yeah. your studio. Like you, you started error four hundred three, and that's like an internet error message, isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah. So the Jessica chose the name. It's like a collectively run space. So it's not like I started it or it's like really all the people involved started it. And uh, the name we were kind of we thought at first that it was the undefined error error for which I think is error 401 actually. And then we discovered that it's the error, like domain not allowed error, which is like a little bit more harsh, I feel but, but also it's kind of a cute name. Okay, so. That's, it's, it's a it's a yeah. technological name. Uh, are there a lot of errors at your studio, or no? It's error free, I'm guessing mostly. I, I would I would. Uh, it's both profoundly full of errors <laughs> and completely pristine. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. No, that's good. All right. Well, uh, I appreciate that. That's cool. So, uh, uh, and I'm I'm pleased to speak with you about this. Is this your first solo record, or it's the first solo record you've made under the name Kai? Is that correct? Yeah, it it is. I I put out a few things during the pandemic, um, just kind of like experiments and things that I was trying out. But it is my first, like solo quote quote record. I mean, it's it's funny to talk about it as a solo record because there are so many people who played on it. Yeah. Um, but it is kind of the first record that I've produced for myself uh, as myself, I guess. Yeah. So that yeah. that that checks out. Now you've played in uh, different bands or at least one that i'm aware of lung butter and and some other things that correct yeah i played in like a ton of random projects i think lung butter is the one that i guess has the most like i don't know like you know we put out a vinyl and stuff like that um but i've played in so many different projects over the over the last decade and a bit and yeah i really i do a lot of free improv and so like to do that with people who i have played with before and that of course, proliferates a million different ensembles, right? So, yeah. yeah. Okay. I want to, uh, first of all, or not first of all, we're well into this. I want to extend my condolences to you on the passing of your colleague and mine, uh, Joni Sadler. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, that happened in uh, a couple of years ago during the pandemic. It was very shocking. So uh, I just want to say yeah. I'm sorry. Um, uh, you knew, you knew. Mm, likewise. You know, thank you. Yeah. You, but you yeah, played yeah. in a, band with Joni. You knew Joni a long time. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I guess we were we were in Lung Butter for about a decade, actually. Um, and I knew her for a little while before that. I met her when uh, a project that I was playing with, Drum for Dudor, which is a guitar and voice noise duo I was in for a long time with Alex Pelchat, oh. um, played a show at a sort of a DIY venue called La Brique. And uh, the audience was one person, and that person was Joni. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I knew her for a long time, yeah. and she was really one of the, my closest friends. Um, 
Yeah. Did you know her through radio stuff? Or I knew her mostly like through university. Yeah, I uh, through PR kind of stuff. That's how we interacted yeah. the most. Uh, I. F- yeah. It's funny you ask this now, and I'm a bit on the spot. I feel like I knew her before she started working with Constellation mm-hmm. as well. Is that possible? I think it is. Oh, it's totally possible. She worked for Pop Montreal and also for CKUT and CJLO and yeah. uh, I think the radio station at NBC. I forget which one it's called. So she had a huge network of music folks, and I'm sure that you would have encountered her. Yeah, I was, I've was. i been immersed in campus and community radio since... Uh, I don't know, at least 2005, uh, if yeah. not before that, as a as a listener and occasional volunteer uh, when I lived in Guelph, Ontario. So, yeah, the, yeah. the, the, okay. the name popped up quite a bit. And, uh, yeah, and we, yeah. we would collaborate, I suppose, on arranging things uh, when she got to Constellation. Yeah. So totally, yeah. So sorry, I, I appreciate uh, uh, you, you explaining that. Uh, are you actually from Montreal originally, or did you move there from somewhere? Um, I moved to Montreal from Wakefield, Quebec. Oh. Um, I did. I was in high school in Ottawa, and I lived in Wakefield. Um, my I was born in, in in Oslo, in Norway, but my parents moved to Wakefield when I was tiny, and uh, they're both from New York City, actually. So, ah. kind of complicated trajectory. But but I lived in Wakefield for yeah my whole childhood, and uh, moved to Montreal as soon as I could get the heck out of there. So I see. There's a weird combination of cities you mentioned uh, because I've been to New York City, I've been to Oslo in Norway, and I've been to Wakefield. I played many shows. It's well, many. I played a good chunk of shows at the uh, Black at Sheep. The Black in Sheep Inn. Wakefield. Yeah, totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, did you attend many uh, events there? Definitely, and. I, I'm not sure exactly what the mechanics of it were, but I think my dad was at one point thinking about buying part of the Black Sheep as an organization. Oh. I don't, maybe I actually shouldn't say this because I don't know all the details, <laughs> but I know that he was sort of pals with the folks there. And there was something like that when I was really young that I would go there. They were like all ages shows there sometimes in the afternoons. And I also would just like walk in and like be there a little bit when I was younger. And then, yeah, when I started going to shows, I definitely went to shows at the Black Sheep. It's a, it was um, a it is it's still around. It's still around, right? I I feel like I don't know exactly what's going on with it. I oh. believe it's been closed for some time, oh. but um, I don't want to share any information because I'm worried it'll just be spurious okay. gossip. Sorry, um, but but it is in fact still uh, there. The sign is still there. Okay, um, I just haven't seen any shows advertised there in a long time. So I think the pandemic, like many places i feel like maybe things slowed down there during the pandemic so i see okay yeah there was a fellow there named paul that i would deal with yes i know paul quite a bit yeah and then uh the one time we stayed there uh one of my bandmates uh came we we got to stay in the it was a hotel uh kind of a dare Uh was it was a it's the wrong word i was gonna say like a it was like not a fully functioning hotel is that correct no right Right, so they. Would, I feel like it was kind of like it was like a place for musicians to stay, right? Yeah, we would stay there, but my one friend came down after uh, a night there and just white as a ghost, uh, <laughs> and claimed he, he he'd seen ghosts and that it, the place was haunted. Oh my god! And then when we mentioned this to locals, they're like, "Yep, it, it kind of, it, yep. we think it is haunted." And I was like, "What?" And uh, did you ever hear tell that it was haunted? <laughs> I I never heard of any hauntings, but. Um, but I was a very skeptical kid, so ah. um, maybe no one would have told me. <laughs> I don't it's know. Just... Um, but I believe it for sure. That place has so much history. Well, there's, so there's a slight 
possible yeah. unless uh, if the shows I played they were all ages maybe we were in the same room at some point who knows it's very it's very possible yeah. for sure yeah. like I mean I think a lot I mean a lot of artists pass through there and uh, a lot of artists move to Wakefield too like I feel like um, you know it's like a Anglophone sort of community that there there are a lot of arts folks who have lived there for the years yeah. and, um, you said you wanted yeah. to get the hell out of there as soon as you could I think is that what you said am I putting words in your mouth yeah, I mean, I feel like that was maybe a little bit more directed at Ottawa. Oh, um, I see. But definitely, I just feel like growing up there, like, I didn't learn to drive when I was a teenager, which sort of put a damper on a lot of things for me. So mm-hmm. I would, like, you know, walk into town and go to the ski hill and, like, smoke weed and, like, do the things that teenagers do in a small town. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, and, like, if I wanted to go to a show, like, you know, my dad would have to drive me. <laughs> So. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. and 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 yeah. for those wondering, as I recall, because I used to do most of the driving, Wakefield is like twenty minutes from Ottawa, maybe. Yeah, so, it depends on the traffic. I feel like in bad traffic, it can be like forty minutes oh. from like from where I went to high school, for example. Um, okay. but it's a it's really like twenty minutes on a, at a good time. Yeah, right. But a lot yeah. of our uh, probably mutual friends and colleagues uh, who live in that area, Ottawa, Wakefield, uh, they do. St- struggle to play music and stuff mm-hmm. venue wise for other reasons is that a fair i don't know everyone i know from ottawa seemed a little mm-hmm. upset that they were in ottawa does that make any sense well that's definitely how i felt yeah. <laughs> um i mean i i also feel like i have i've I've had some really wonderful experiences playing in ottawa and you know Joni, for example went to university there and um she moved back there during the pandemic yeah and I don't know. I guess it, there are some like wonderful little communities of people doing cool stuff there, like um, Mark Molnar or like Lindsay Wellman mm-hmm. or uh, I guess uh, Debaser is based out of there. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I guess as I've gotten older, I feel more and more at ease with Ottawa and like kind of really like going there. Yeah. Um, I'm going there at the end of the month um, to play at Club Saw with my group, and and I'm actually very, very excited about it. Also, my friend Nick Schofield, who played Synthesizer and gave me some mix input on my album, it works as the technical director of Club Saw yeah. in Ottawa, yeah. so that's a wonderful thing. Um, I think he lives in Gatineau. Ah. Um, and Club, club Saw, is yeah. not, does it do other stuff besides being a, a club? I can't remember. Is it like a? I, I think it's part of Arts Court. There's like a gallery. So it's like when I yeah, was a, yeah. a teenager, yeah. like there was like a gallery. And I think it was like an audiovisual gallery right. where they did like a lot of like yeah. 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 And I would like go to like hardcore and punk shows in the basement, which was Club Saw, and then go and like hang out on the roof of the Rideau Center. Ah. Like yeah. so, so it has like a huge history for me emotionally. I'm like every time I play there, I'm like, this is so cool. I've made it. <laughs> In uh, when I lived in Guelph, I worked and frequented uh, an establishment called the Ed Video Media Arts Center. And in my capacity Mm -hmm. as a what was my title? I think I was the programming coordinator. I don't remember what my title was. Something like that. Mm -hmm. I would often we would share uh, traveling uh, films or or gallery exhibitions. And I feel like Saw was one of the partners we had. That's what I might be getting this wrong, but that makes sense. Like Mm -hmm. they would do that kind of stuff, right? Totally makes sense. Yeah. yeah, that checks out for sure. Okay. Yeah. I should say also, like, I also think of Ottawa as a hotbed for great musicians and 
certainly in a, it was a punk rock route. Sean Scallon and people mm-hmm. would put on shows there, as I recall, and probably still do. I think totally. Yeah. So I'm not trying to. I'm not shitting on Ottawa. I think it's just. No, I. I felt. I. You could feel it. Like I could feel it among the yeah. people we would play with. Like there were just a little. Everyone loves to shit on Ottawa. Yeah. And also, like it is like you know it's a government town. Like yeah. it closes at nine p.m. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So did you start? It's again, given what you've just said, and we, I had a similar experience uh, growing up in Cambridge, Ontario, where it just didn't feel. Like you could get something going, mm-hmm. and I didn't feel like I really. My friends and I didn't feel like we really had something going until we moved a half an hour away to Guelph, which was a university town mm-hmm. with a lot more going on. Uh, did you play <laughs> music in in your upbringing in Wakefield and Ottawa? Were you able to start playing or immerse yourself in music? Well, I, pl- I I sang a lot. I, I did classical music lessons from when I was quite young, mm-hmm. um, and um, I did like classical voice with. Uh, Janet Hamilton, who's an Ottawa voice teacher. Oh. Um, she's really, really wonderful. And yeah, so I was around a ton of music when I was a kid, but I never really, I never started a band or anything like that. Like I never, like I I, I feel like I definitely was just doing classical music stuff and things that were sort of like classical music associated with, like in terms of what I would make, like until after my undergrad, basically. Yeah. But I did go to see a lot of punk stuff and like, like I saw a wide variety of music in that town, but I didn't really make any music with other people in any way that like, like beyond like playing with my family, basically. Oh, your family played. Yeah. Well, my, my, my dad is a cellist and my stepmom's a saxophone player Hmm. and they, yeah, they, they're my mom and my mother um, is like a huge music fan. And so like we we're always around music, but uh, not not like yeah. But I never like started a high school band or anything cool like that. <laughs> I was like I way see. too dorky. <laughs> you were you were dorky. You say dorky, really? Oh, for sure, for sure, for sure. Well, what, what kind of <laughs> stuff are would a dorky person like you be into if it wasn't music? Like, what were you? I've you know I've had these conversations with some musicians of late, and a couple of them in recent months, both. Uh, irresp- like res- you know, respectively said, well, I was kind of a jock until I got to high school. I was like a mm-hmm. hard, but like these people sounded like they were like played soccer every single mm-hmm. day of the year or basketball, and then something switched in them and they got into yeah. music and art and poetry and things like that. Uh, were you into something like hardcore that wasn't music at that point in your life? Yeah, I mean, like I was really into physics and math, and I was like quite into studying. Um, I would say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was also like generally into causing trouble for my family. Like I was a fairly badly behaved kid. I was like scholarly, but like badly behaved. Um, oh, so uh, and then I like I did my undergrad and master's in uh, mathematical biology. So I have like kind of a long story of of doing things that aren't music stuff. So which I really care about deeply and and has been like very nurturing for me. Uh, so yeah, I would say I was into like science and math stuff. I like read a, I read a lot of poetry i read a lot of like weird you know like the pretentious teenager literature mm-hmm. um and uh yeah i read a lot i kind of want to know I specifically <laughs> i want to know specifically what the pretentious teenager literature is but i also am oh, I, uh, yeah <laughs> i'm sure you have your own pretentious teenager literature absolutely <laughs> like i'm sure does. well yeah. you know if i think back on it some of mine was uh from a bygone era 
Kerouac, mm-hmm. or I don't. Same, it's, yeah, yeah totally. like sort of getting into the beats and realizing that Thomas Mann, or yes, something like sure, that, you know? stuff like that. Yeah, 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 yeah for yeah. sure. Uh, I'm sorry. Did you say what was your major? Mathematical biology? Is that what you said? Yeah, I did like a. I I don't know. I don't want to get too much down this road of stuff. But I did my undergrad in a double major in physiology and physics, and then like went on to do a master's in mathematical biology. Mathematical biology. What is that? Are you counting the animals? What does that mean exactly? It, I don't. Yeah, it it's it's basically like developing mathematical models to like investigate oh. biological phenomena. So ah. it was like working with differential delay equations to look at uh, modeling the human immune system which is really interesting. And, and I really, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like I have taken this other left turn and have been working on music like since I finished my master's. Yeah. Um, but I really loved working in that world. And um, I think it has given me a lot of interesting, weird transferable skills. A hundred percent. Yeah, no, I could see that. I mean, yeah. and I, yeah. I want to respect what you said about not wanting to go too far down that road. Thanks for feeling these these questions but i was going to ask i mean mm-hmm. as a recording sorry would you categorize yourself as a recording engineer as well as a producer yeah i'm 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 actually i don't i don't think i categorize myself as a producer so much as a recording engineer okay, fair I'm enough. pretty technical so fair yeah, enough so the totally. math and the science obviously comes into play in your work uh, in that regard it's, totally yeah 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 i mean i feel like it gave me a great set of tools to think about signal processing and and stuff like that so yeah. And also, like, I feel like I had, okay, so this is funny, but I feel like I had some, like, really incredible mentorship, op- like, experiences, at, like, doing math bio stuff, um, mm. like, and and encountered some really excellent teachers. And that has been something that I've continued to appreciate and try to bring with me when I work on things is, like, you know, learning how to not be an asshole to people when you know something that they want to know. Mm. Yeah. Um and and I feel like that's very much something that I've like tried to bring into like, you know, working in the studio or like, you know, work, working with other musicians, and then also like the other attitude of like not tr- not getting scared when someone can do something that I have no possible capacity to do or like, huh. you, you know, that kind of thing. So so I feel like that's maybe something that I really got from my experience working in that world was just like having some really really good teachers and and appreciating how much that matters. Huh. Um, no, that's that's. That's fascinating. So an increased uh, knowledge base uh, also gave you uh, or instilled within you humility. Is that a way of putting it? Yeah, I, I guess so. Or just like, I don't know, just appreciating how how much it matters to have people around you who like care about like helping you learn how to do stuff, you know? Yes, that's right. Um, it's But the, the, there's something when you... I think there's humility in helping people, I guess, is maybe where I'm coming from. There's just like a... Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're not high and mighty. You're like, okay, I can help. I, Sorry, I'm getting to that age or I'm well past that age, maybe where I realize that uh, some of the things I do uh, impact people on a, I wish I could do that level. Or how do I get, yeah. how do I get to do that level? And then you've, you, what's the expression? You, you sort of uh, pay it forward. Uh, all the mentorship yeah. I had and all the people that I look up to, they were in me still, and then I can pass it along to the next generation of journalists or broadcasters or musicians. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. Exactly that. And then the uh, the other side of it, which is like, oh, like, how do you learn to do something? You just practice and ask people about it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's not even that mystifying. It's just, yeah, I just did it, and I just keep doing yeah. it, and then slowly but surely, I figure out how to get a little bit better at it. It sounds like that's been your experience as well. 
Totally. Yeah. Doing a lot of things kind of badly and then like slowly feeling more confident about them. You know? So based on the fact that you weren't, uh, you describe yourself as a dork and you got into the science and the math, I think, uh, I, I guess, but you didn't take up, sorry, when did you actually take up your first instrument? Yeah, I feel like you alluded to this earlier, but I, I forget already. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, when, okay. when, yeah when was that? Um, yeah, so I, I took violin lessons when I was a kid, and then I, like, did classical voice classical, for a really long right, time. Right, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like you know, like, pre-opera stuff, basically. Um, yeah. And then um, after my undergrad, I was hanging out with these people who, you know, were, like, weird-ass, artsy-fartsy types, and we, like, <laughs> basically... Anyway, so I got involved with a group of friends who like started a DIY space and was very involved in that. And I think during the maybe the second year of this space being thing, like my friends Aaron and Micah and I started playing music together as like a noise trio, um, which was called White Cube. Mm-hmm. And we played a bunch of shows around Montreal. That would have been maybe. 2011 2010 2011 maybe mm-hmm. and yeah we were like a baritone saxophone a bass and i played synthesizer and sang um mm-hmm. or like you know we we did like something that was like somewhere in between performance art and like and music i would say mm-hmm. um we were like really into like we were like oh we're the new velvet underground or something like that and and of course i think we were like so weird um <laughs> but so I, that was the first group that i started playing with and then i joined like a queer punk band called the Femme Maggots because I was working at this like cooperatively run cafe mm-hmm. um, in Park X and there were these like other people who worked at the cafe who were really cool and then I like was hanging out after work one day at the cafe and they were like jamming at this cafe and one of them was like oh Kai you should come sing and then I sang with them and we played for a bunch of years after that um, and uh, that was sort of my first experience touring and like playing with like a larger band and yeah, it was just like a really good experience. Um, but I've always sung like I I, yeah. I don't really play instruments. Um, I play the synthesizer quite poorly, and I play some noise guitar. But I'm not like really a instrumental musician, much as I it's, wish I was. <laughs> it's about, I mean, it sounds like you are. You did you not compose uh, the songs on? I, you have many collaborators, and I want to get to them. I believe on this mm-hmm. new album, Power mm-hmm. is the Pharmacy, but. Uh, you composed all the music. Is that correct? Well, it kind of happened in a complicated way. Like I basically the process for that album, um, like, yeah, like I, I read things on the synthesizer and like, hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll sing melodies and then do that with people. So yeah, totally do compose music, but I'm not like a technically skilled performer, like of anything except for like, I think singing and production stuff basically. Hmm. So yeah, like what that looks like is like, I, messed around with the synthesizer in my voice and like record some stuff and then arrange it into a song of some kind. And then I'm like, Hey friend, are you interested in trying to play on top of this thing I recorded? And then like friend ideally is like, sure. And then like plays some layers of improvisation on it. And then I like take that and then rearrange it all over the place and turn it into something that, that I feel matches. Uh And then send it to the next friend. So that's what that process looked like for that album. It was very like, it's kind of a collage, actually, 
more than anything. Well, it, um, it does come across that way. Uh, the new record, anyway, it does come across that way. It, it does feel collagey and and stimulating and and surprising. I, I will say, um, I, I'm I'm always like, where's this going to go? Um, given our discussion about your scholarly pursuits, do you have any music theory background or anything like that? Oh, zero. My my high school like voice teacher tried to teach me some music theory. And then she was like, this is just not worth it because this person is not interested. <laughs> um, yeah. But I like, you know, I know it sounds good. And like, I can like follow stuff if people explain it to me. Like I can do some like light sight reading, for example, but I don't really have like a strong music theory background or anything like that. Um, but was your was your high school voice teacher? Cor- I mean, it sounds like they were correct at the time. You weren't interested. Are you interested now in learning that stuff? <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I feel like it can be useful for c- talking about things with people and, you know, working on other people's music. I've had to learn like somewhat trial by fire, some important things in terms of like, you know, just having a communicative language that works with people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think beyond that, I'm not super interested. Like huh. I kind of think of those things as mostly tools for talking about stuff with people and probably someone who I'm close with will will be like, oh, that's that's terrible. But but that is kind of I'm pretty pragmatic about it, honestly. Well, it so. sounds like you have an ear for music. If someone's improvising over top of your synth and vocal parts and then you're rearranging things that they've done, um, mm-hmm. some might be like, I, I know myself, I'd probably screw up like someone might play something at a certain point and I might not realize that uh uh, by moving it, I've altered the key of the song, or you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Like you, do you have? Yeah. You ever encounter that? I don't, like, <laughs> I don't really realize that stuff. Is the thing. <laughs> it doesn't matter to I, you. I feel like I, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if it sounds the way I wanted to sound, then it's fine. <laughs> um, it probably means it is fine but, in a theoretical yeah. sense. You know what I mean? Like your yeah, you, your ear, yeah, your it. ear is so seasoned as an engineer that uh, you know. It sounds like to me. You might have, have more music theory than you maybe even realize. It might not be formalized, but it might be know. within you. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, I think it also just comes like, I think everyone picks up like, you know, norms of what music is quote, quote, supposed to sound like yeah. just like from listening to music, like anyone who listens to, you know, like, for example, like Western classical music, like you just pick up certain things as the norms that they are. And, you know, like on some level, like some of that music theory stuff, like some of it is just like a sort of codification of norms. Yeah, it's true. And like, yeah. that's kind of all, you know, and it, a lot of it is like, I don't know if you followed the Shankarian analysis scandal a couple of years ago. Um, uh, I forget the name of the prof. Uh, I think it, this really awesome prof wrote this paper called, I think it's white uh, Western music's uh, white racial frame. Mm. Um, oh, right. Which Yes, I do remember I this. I forget the guy's name. Yeah. yeah. And there was like a famous podcaster who posted about it. But I think one of the things that that article was was pointing to was the ways in which like, you know, like norms around music and what music is good music and what music is like, Mm -hmm. does what and is for who and so on and so forth. Like they're kind of baked into the whole experience of listening to music and talking about music, you know. Well, and I but I think those of us and, and, and people like you who have a penchant for noise experimentation um, are, you know, really flying in the face of some of that orthodoxy, right? I mean, it does seem like you're playing as and, and expressing yourself as freely as you possibly can. Is that a way of putting it? I feel like um, that's very flattering. <laughs> um, I, I feel like, I feel like, uh, well, I'm trying to like get to a specific feeling like um, of something working right, I guess. 
I, I, I don't know if I'm like flying in the face of the establishment because I think I bring a lot of establishment with me, unfortunately. Um, but well, there are trying there to do frames. That feels authentic. Yeah, you know? like I don't think you're playing completely. Sorry, I should I should clarify. And for those who want an example, I would listen to this record. Like you're you're clearly creating structures and arrangements. Yeah. It's not completely all over the place, but I think you're also no, totally. yeah. yeah within that structure or framework or arrangement. There's a lot going on. I mean, for someone who has, it seems to me. Uh, spend a lot of time vocalizing uh, and also studying that. I mean, you tend to alternate between singing and sort of what spoken word sing. Uh, what's how would you yeah. characterize speak singing? I guess is that a way of putting it? Yeah, sprechstimme. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I feel like yeah, just like well, trying to figure out like how to communicate something. I, don't, I, I this is like kind of really hard to talk about. I feel like I don't know how to talk about why I do the thing the way I do it, you know? <laughs> Pretty um, instinctual? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just like I mess around until something feels right, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a big, like, sort of tacit underpinnings of, like, making music or something. Well, there's um, a th- certain... One yeah. of the things I've observed about you and this record in particular is the kind of theatricality that that creates. When you create mm-hmm. dynamics within your own way of expressing yourself, whether you're going to be... Uh, emoting impassioned like with like a borderline screaming let's say let's say it that way uh, and yeah. then you're going to be speaking and then you're going to be singing it creates a, a, a drama like a suspenseful uh, what's yeah. going to happen kind of cool. thing and so I think within everything you're doing and, and with the music as well being in the conventional sense somewhat off kilter uh, again theatric mm-hmm. is theatricality uh, important to you or am I on the right track with or sorry, oh, totally. is that a, is yeah. that a way of describing your work? Yeah, that's awesome. I <laughs> love that. That's that's a thing that you're thinking about. Um, yeah, I definitely feel like it's like very. Uh, it's like it's like very heightened. I guess is like my feeling about it. Because I'm I'm trying to make it like as uh, emotionally intense as I can. Yeah, <laughs> I would say mission accomplished. That involves yeah. like cool. That's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And then sometimes that involves like being very quiet and then sometimes that involves like, you know, being very intense. Um, yeah. So, Do you have yeah. a sense of, like we've kind of talked about where your background in terms of how you got into music, but uh, in terms of performers that you admire or looked up to when you were younger, because um, classical music, I, I for, you know, for some people it's a pretty whatever. Uh, Western classical music is, is pretty staid, mm-hmm. but it's also quite dramatic, I think, um, when you think about it. Mm-hmm. like if you Actually, it's moving constantly, and it has the same sort of quiet, loud dynamics, or it can, depending on what you're listening to. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a sense of where your, totally. your penchant and affinity for theatrical music and theatrical performance maybe comes from? Well, I can't, that's a really... Yeah, okay, because my first impulse was to be like, Oh, I love Bjork, you know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. or like, I'm trying to think of like the musical, like, like as a singer, like it, a lot of it's just like pop music where like, like Bjork or like, I've been listening to like a Justin Timberlake a lot, yeah. <laughs> like with this record yeah. or like, like I really loved Radiohead when I was a teenager. Cause I'm a dorky teenager or like also just like punk music across the board, like, like some of those projects, like the really raw thing that they bring has meant so much, like, or has like really hit me really hard. 
I think Magic Markers was like a crazy oh, one yeah. for me. Like I started listening to them like um, after the first Lung Butter record, not the one that came out on Constellation, but our, um, our a tape. We put out a bunch of cassettes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and our, our first album that we put out like that summer, I, we like toured a little bit in the States and like I heard Magic Markers and I was like, that's crazy. That's so cool. <laughs> so some things like that. Yeah, I'm trying to like link it to being a teenager, but I'm like, I feel like as a teenager, I was really into like, yeah, I like listened to some classical music and I listened to some like weird ass shit that I found at the library. And like, also like a lot of that, like British revival stuff that was happening Mm -hmm. when I was like, what, like 14 or 15, Uh, like Interpol also. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Like, like, yeah. Uh, Like um, Amy Winehouse, like this, this kind of world of things was was what I was listening to. So some um, some pretty like prominent pop artists as well. Yeah, I love pop music and yeah. like I feel like I've gotten like a ton of energy from pop music. Yeah. Yeah. But is it is that a source of drama, theatricality? I, I mean it can be, for sure. Uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. It's all super heightened. It's like about a persona and like someone really like being super intentional about expressing their emotions in a very particular way mm-hmm. and like i really like that i guess i feel like you are i don't know does that make any sense <laughs> no it, it does it does make complete sense because i think we're coming you and i anyway are coming from the same place there's mm-hmm. there's drama and uh intensity in a pop or rock performance i mean i'm sure Seeing someone like Amy Winehouse, I never did. I ever see? No, I never got to see Amy Winehouse, but I did get to see people like Sharon Jones, and um, wow. that was yeah. that was That's there awesome. was that kind of sense of fun, but also a sense of like the drama of the spectacle of it was like moving in itself. Like you couldn't take your eyes off her. She's a compelling performer. I don't. Yeah, I, exactly. I haven't had the opportunity to see you live. Like, do you bring this to the stage? This level of because um, what you said earlier stuck out for me. You were kind of said you were chasing a feeling with this music more than maybe getting everything technically conventionally correct. Mm-hmm. Um, does that speak to your uh, actions as a performer and your approach to performing and singing and all those sorts of things? Chasing a I mean I don't a feeling I mean I, chasing a feeling for sure. I don't. I mean I would. Uh, give my left foot to bring any like an ounce of what some of these performers that we've listed bring to the stage you know that's like what I really one of the things one of the many things I really really admire in other performers is like when they can bring that to an audience Um, it is certainly what I'm trying to do I I don't know how effective I am at it but it's definitely like like I'm way less interested in technical perfection than I am in just like oh how can I communicate clearly yeah you know yeah Um, yeah no that that makes sense to me i mean oh i i can't when did you actually start working on this record like what sorry i assume it was during hmm. the pandemic or when did you start yeah i started working on it about six months into the pandemic okay and i'd released a couple of things like i played like a drone day performance and my friend matt redding and i had done some like collaborative synthesizer and voice stuff which we called vexing which that we do have a short album out which i'm actually like very proud of mm-hmm. um and it's like experimental electronic music yeah so i was like messing around with synthesizers about six months into the pandemic and then the serb happened and 
I had more money than I had ever had in my life and was able to buy two synthesizers that I'd been wanting and a microphone that I'd wanted. And sort of that's how it started is I was like locked up at home and want, wanting to work on music. And I did this. Okay. Have you heard of the artist's way? Have you heard about this book? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. The artist's way is this like super cheesy eighties self-help book. Um, that's like aimed at create creatives. Um, and is like meant to be like, a like get yourself artistically unstuck using this 12 step program that is like loosely based on AA. And, I did this program. It's like, a, it's a book and you like basically journal every day and then you do some fun stuff and like try to take your art seriously and you do some like, you know, self therapy stuff. Um, and it was so incredibly effective for me. <laughs> like I, I did this program and I was like taking some time off of like, I'm doing a degree right now and I was taking some time off of that and was just like able to like only do art for a little while, which was so amazing. Yeah, nice. yeah. Um, and then I like recorded like a lot of the record, like within like a three month period, maybe. And then things got really slow and I just kept on like, like it was like sort of this like frenzy of a couple of months of like doing stuff. And then like three years or like two years, I guess, of like changing and editing and re-recording. And then like I, you know, I like sent it to Constellation and um, they weren't sure if they wanted to put it out. And then they they, then they were like, okay, like, we'll give it some more time. And I like read it a ton of stuff like after that. Cause I was like, Rah! um, and so, yeah, it was sort of like a very fast process followed by a very slow process. I see. Okay. So did this time period serve as the primary source of your lyricism on this record? I, I wrote a bunch of the poetry that appears on the record, like, way before I even started working on the record. Mm. Um, and then a, a couple of the songs I recorded, like I improvised just like one take, um, like the, okay, it's weird, but it's like the week after Joni passed away. Cause I had some time booked at hotel to tango to work on my record. Mm. And then like, I didn't want to cancel the time. Cause I was like, I feel crazy. I don't know what to do. I guess it was three weeks actually after it wasn't a week after. Right. But I was like, oh, I, I'm losing my mind. What do I do with myself? Um, and so I like kept the date and then like re-recorded some things kind of all at once and changed a bunch of lyrics on a couple of songs at that point. Uh, okay. So from what they had originally solidified into, I guess. So I'm I know from what I understand, uh, a piece like All the Sad and Loving People uh was inspired by Joni's passing. Is that correct? Yeah, that was the only one that I wrote the whole thing after she passed away. Yeah. And it was actually something that I wrote for like a compilation album that her friends made for each other. Oh, okay. Um, and then I, I recorded one version of it for that. And then later I was like, oh, I would really like to put this on the album. Mm. Um, and so I made a bunch of changes and put it on the album. Um, right. Yeah. So the revisions. So some of this, you say some of the poetry was written before the uh, pandemic started. What was did, it, did anything about our collective uh, consciousness, our collective experience in the last uh, three years or so, uh, did that uh, infuse any of these pieces? Like, did you, did it, did it end up sort of influencing what you wanted to talk about or write about? Yeah, totally. I'm okay. So the the original title for the album um, was capitalism dreams and the fear of loss, which was a very pretentious title, even (laughs) less pretentious than the current title. Um, (laughs) But I, I think a lot of 
what I was feeling and trying to uh, record. Yeah, it was around this feeling of like being in your early 30s and just having no, well, I don't know if the age part is important, but like, you know, being like, okay, like life is supposed to be settling in some way in theory, maybe. Yeah. Um, and now everything is so deeply uncertain. Yeah. And and I am so alone and everyone is so alone and governments are not doing shit to help with this stuff. And, you know, like, give or take. And like, yeah, so I think I was experiencing the same kinds of feelings that every, like many, many other people were experiencing at that time of like profound uncertainty. Yeah. And uh, that's definitely what I was writing about or like what I was trying to convey, even if I'd written the words beforehand. Um, well, one of the songs here that I uh, think of uh, and I'm confused about, but I also think I get it is Teeth, or rather mm-hmm. Powers the Powers the Pharmacy. Teeth is that what it's called? I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. It was originally called Teeth, and uh, um, yeah, and then took on the name of the album as well because I, I felt it was the right name for it. But um, there's some but, healthcare stuff going on in there. I couldn't figure that one out on some level. It's uh, pretty visceral about yeah. uh, our teeth. Is that right? <laughs> okay that that song okay that song is so funny like okay on one level it's um about like being afraid of losing your teeth you know sure. on a very stupid level yeah. like i have very very bad teeth and i have a lot of anxiety about it and i think a lot of people have that experience um on another level what the song is sort of really about is like the possibility of repair it's like uh it's like an anti-entropy question mm. it's like is it possible to repair things that have been fully broken? Um, and can you unchew the world in some way? Like, mm. so like the way that I was thinking about that poem is like as a conversation between two people. And that's the two voices that move back and forth in the stereo field. If you listen to yeah. it um, yeah. and it's like two people sort of talking in this like confused way about like, whether it's possible to rewind, whether it's possible to repair, like this thing of like, you know, for example, like sometimes in a relationship or a friendship, like you say things that you can never unsay, right? Um, And that damage the relationship or something like that. And you can, you know, you can certainly heal from those things and like rebuild trust and and care. Um, But there's always a sense in which like the things that have happened have happened, you know? Um, and that's what that song is about. I appreciate that explanation because I found it jarring, but uh, I never thought of it. I don't know. I have a negative bias, so I only thought something's wrong here, but you're saying if there's Mm -hmm. a hopefulness to that song and perhaps would you say there's hope running throughout this record on some level? Totally, yeah. I mean, it's like a, I think there's a lot of sadness in it and, and a lot of like resignation and a lot of it is about being afraid of losing the things that you care about and the people that you care about. And, um, and, and that's like, you know, kind of the central theme of the album. But I, but I think that there's also like, I like to think, um, I hope that there is a sense of like liveliness in it. Yeah, um, no, there is. Yeah. You know, the spirit of it is not a downcast one, but it's, no, an, it's it, honestly, it's a kind of pissed off album. <laughs> Yes, exactly, and that and that suggests that uh, change is uh, desired. Uh, and when you're yeah. when you're pushing for change, that is a hopeful gesture. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's definitely. I'm I'm really glad that's what you're getting from it because that's yeah yeah. It, I mean, I'm so obscure. It's really hard. I, it's hard to 
know how to communicate about yeah writing music and 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 stuff but but that's totally what i'm trying to go for so i'm really glad that's what you got <laughs> no I, I got it i mean for those who uh come upon the record the album cover in itself uh is striking and maybe a bit daunting um kai can you describe the album cover um the album cover is a picture that was taken by my friend Mathieu ball who plays guitar on the album and is also the guitar player for big brave and it's a photograph of a chair burning in the snow and the photograph was part of a two-part series that i think he did for his maybe a final project but it has also been released as part of like an art book hmm. put out by the garot which is matt matt's label oh. in the states mm-hmm. um who is a, which is a really wonderful little experimental label the nicest folks i think they're amazing all the music that they put out is great nice. um and they put out art books as well um and so that's what the image is. And it kind of refers to like during the pandemic, uh, some friends, um, Mathieu and Jessica included and, and Robin. Um, anyway, some of my closest friends used to, we had some bonfires during the pandemic ah. and it was like our one weekly thing we would do together is like, it was like the one social thing is have this bonfire in the snow. So, so that image really resonated with me on that level, like in a very literal sense. And then also on this level of like, Oh, the chair you're sitting on is on fire it's like the little dog in the house being like this is okay this is you know? fine this is fine yeah, this is fine yeah, yeah right. exactly so i see okay it sort of works on a, a couple of different metaphorical levels i suppose yeah, yeah yeah so like when i saw that image i was like oh my god Mathieu, can i please use this as the cover image and he was very kind and, and let me do that well um, it's it, it is very striking and i i appreciate you explaining that to me too because where i was coming from is i do hear the hope and i do hear the pissed yeah. offedness uh, and as we've established, those two things aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. But then you got a picture of a chair on fire, and it's a little scary. That's all I was getting at. So I'm, <laughs> I'm scared, I'm motivated, I'm scared, I'm confused. Uh, it's a very uh, thrilling record in this regard. It runs the emotion. It's an emotional roller coaster. You know what I'm saying? This is like the deepest flattery. I'm I'm so <laughs> stoked that that's that that's what you're feeling from it. Well, so. it's, it's, it is my pleasure. Um, is there anything? Uh, more you want to say in an overarching sense about this record for people who are encountering it. I know we haven't touched upon all of it, but uh, just curious. I want to give you some time. Is there anything more you want to say? I feel like those are some of the really big things about the record that you got to. Um, I think that the other big thing about it is like, it's a hugely collaborative record and like the artists um, and friends who played on it are all amazing and like you know, as I said, I'm not a technically skilled instrumentalist. Yeah. And uh, there are some incredibly technically, emotionally, musically skilled instrumentalists on that album. And I'm so grateful for that. So uh, it's like really hard to think, like it's a really long list of people. I think there's like 11 people who played on it. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, just just wanting to like, like deeply express my appreciation for all of those folks. Like Farley, uh, the drummer, plays in a band called FIFA Fum, who are currently putting out like one of the most fun like proggy pop punk records i've heard in a really long time Mm. and Mathieu plays in big brave the bass player josh uh, plays in a band called gong 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 who are mostly based in beijing but are like really awesome uh like like crowdy uh noise rock uh james the saxophone player is one of my oldest, dearest friends, and we've played together for forever and ever. And he has a project called Skin Tone, which I just recorded a record, which will be coming out at some point soon. 
and uh anyway that's just like four like that's like five <laughs> of the people but like there's like 11 people on this album plus my mastering engineer who is like the coolest and everyone like i could talk for like five minutes about each of them but i probably i probably will do a bad job of it so. well we'll ask people to check out the liner notes i guess and uh yeah check out the liner notes yeah. like everyone who played on that album is like super sick and like i'm deeply deeply grateful to have played with them oh nice so oh, that's lovely yeah. yeah but i mean that's a testament to you you brought these people together they want to work with you I think that's a... Oh, I'm very lucky. Yeah. I'm very, very lucky. So. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that. Uh, um, are you working on something new in your own pursuits? I know you work with others, and it sounds like uh, you were working with someone today on something of theirs, but uh, what's next for you in particular, Kai? Um, well, I'm maybe halfway through recording my next album right now. Oh, cool. um, and uh, that's been sort of like again, fits and starts. Like I had a recording session two weeks ago at Hotel Tatango with a group of collaborators. And um, I have all the music written and, and most of the instrumental and synthesizer stuff recorded. I think there will be a couple more passes of, of work with people. But yeah, so I'm working on another album. I am not going to hurry anyone to put it out. I'm just going to take my time with it because I am... Anyway, I have to respect the album cycle, you know? Yeah, So. But I, but I'm very much working on on the next thing and feeling super. I don't know. Like I went through like a bit of a fallow period, like after I finished this record, like especially like waiting to know whether I would be putting it out on my own or with my friends at Constellation or or with another label or anything. Anyway, so I was like kind of feeling I wasn't very creative for a while there, and then I had this like crazy brain zap like last last uh fall where i just wrote like a ton of music and and i'm sort of working on that um, oh, that's and, that's great i think yeah. you're not the only one coming yeah. out of some sort of uh yeah. intellectual and emotional and spiritual hibernation so uh <laughs> but it sounds like you're always very totally. busy so i'm i'm pleased to hear that that's great uh, uh if people want to learn more about you specifically or you know engage with you on whatever platforms uh mm-hmm. is it, is there somewhere people can go um, I haven't. Well, uh, I have an Instagram, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is Alknuvometalkai at uh, on Instagram, and I have a website, which is not a great place to engage with me, um, <laughs> but it is there. Uh, I would say Instagram is probably the best move. Okay, all right, <laughs> um, I can. Li- yeah, because I, I, you know, I message people back. If they message me on Instagram, I'll message them. That's all. <laughs> okay, I can. I'll link to your Instagram. How about that? And people can Sounds click great. on that if they want to uh, uh, learn more. Uh, if we can go out in a song. From Powers the Pharmacy, uh, uh, I wonder if you could pick one for us and explain why it came to mind. Uh, I would say um, definitely all the sad and loving people, but maybe the radio edit because the field recording is kind of long. I don't. Um, it's a it's a podcast. We don't. Are you worried that people are? It's fine. We've been. Oh, I think. Okay. The, the, I, I want to play like the is a six minute version. Yeah. The regular version? Yeah, there's a really, the, the, whatever the one that's not the radio edit on Bandcamp is, is the one to go out on, I think. Okay. It's, it's really my favorite one. Of, it's my favorite song on the album. And, I, and uh, we talked, we yeah, talked about it great. a little bit. Yeah. So it's relevant. It's exactly. germane. It's germane exactly. to the conversation. Indeed. indeed. indeed, indeed. Uh, okay. This is all <laughs> the sad and loving people from uh, the brilliant new album, Power is the Pharmacy. Uh, by Kai. Kai, thank you so much for being on this show. I hope you enjoyed yourself and that we speak again and best of luck in the future. Oh, thank you so much. It was a real pleasure. Yeah. Great. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. That was very nice to encounter Kai. I don't think I've ever encountered Kai. Kai, thank you so much. For being on this, the 777th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network. And for everyone who is unfamiliar, this show is available wherever you get your podcast, pretty much, except for the one place. If you can't find an episode that you're looking for, or if you want to learn more about me, you can sign up for my monthly newsletter, which I'm woefully behind on. I'm like six months, but no, I can't be that many. I'm behind. It's been busy. Anyway, if you want to learn more about me and sign up for the newsletter, I'll get to it. Please visit vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on the Facebook. You can also follow the show currently on the Twitter at vishcreative, or you can follow me directly on the Twitter and on the Instagram at vishkana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creativecontrol to make a flexible monthly donation to this donor-driven podcast that's where most of the good clean money comes from people like you who like the show like to see it exist and so you fork up some hard-earned money uh and and you you summon your generosity now whatever you can donate is amazing per month it's a like i say it's a monthly flexible donation you can start at one level and you can go up or down It, it really it really don't matter. Now, $6 American or more grants you access to exclusive content. And if you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt, just message me on Patreon and I'll get you one uh, while supplies last. Thanks again for supporting the show at patreon.com slash creative control. I also want to thank Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, for their in-kind support for this show. I want to thank my uh, friend Jim Guthrie, who loves a good donut. I, I, I know that for a fact. If anyone likes a good donut and a cup of coffee, it's that Jim Guthrie. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you so much for listening to this episode with Kai. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, if you're familiar with Kai, I, I hope you still learned something. If you've never heard of, heard of Kai at all, well, here we go. Now you know a bit about Kai, and we'll check out their wonderful music via Constellation Records currently and and uh, follow them on Instagram. I've linked all that stuff. Otherwise, thank you. I hope you're well and uh, that you uh, will subscribe to this podcast or follow it if you don't do that already and, and tell your friends to do the same. And maybe that'll help spread the word about this show that I've been working on. It's uh, been 10 years of work and it's fun, but I'm, you know, still kicking here doing that stuff. Anyway, enough about me. I'm, I'm a little tired. I'm going to go to sleep. I'll talk to you soon. 
Bye for now. Oh, see, that's the sleep talking. I would never do a voice like that normally. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.